0: Morning everybody. How are you? Um uh my my family and I were were out last night. We wanted to go view some Christmas lights. And my wife had texted somebody, I'm not sure who, forgive me if I don't remember who she said she, she texted, but somebody was saying, oh yeah, there's these Christmas lights over here in this area. Great, give me an address. I'm gonna plug it in. So we go and, and we're heading out to go view Christmas lights. And this is one of those places where they've got the lights timed to the music. So you can turn on the radio and you can listen to the music and watch the lights going. And they it was looking like it was gonna be really cool. It was looking like it was going to be really cool. But we got there and... Um, and apparently the show hadn't started. We ra- waited around for a little bit, and this show still didn't start, and I had to get my kids home, um, and so we didn't get to see. It. We we're planning on going back out and, and visiting this particular location, because it looks like it's going to be really good, but in the process, as we're driving, my uh, my son, Caleb, we're, we're listening to Christmas music in the Mariah Carey song, All I Want for Christmas. Um, yeah, it, that one um, is, is playing on the radio, and and she's singing the, the line in there about, you know, I don't want a lot for Christmas, don't really care about all the gifts and my she it, just in the briefest of pause in the song, my son, my son pipes up and says, "I do." <laughs> <laughs> you can tell where he's at, where his head is at this Christmas season. It's what's what's coming, man. What am I getting? You know, um and that is that is where the world is at, right? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And and I can't just say, well, that dirty, rotten world, because guess what? I find that in me as well. I I find some of that happening in, in my heart and in my life. And so we are actually talking in a series this right now. We're in the third part of our series, The Hope of Christmas, which is really all about everything opposite Of that. We're talking about the hope we have in Christmas because of the birth of Jesus. As a matter of fact, here's the big idea we're working off of in this series. Because of the birth of Jesus, we have hope. We have hope, not a hope of what's in it for me or I hope I get something or I hope this other thing happens, but we have a settled future. We have a settled future because of what God has done. And we've been looking at this through the lens of Mary's song known as the Magnificat. Mary's Magnificat. She erupts in this praise and worship to God because of what he is accomplishing. Here's what she said. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. I'm reading out of the NIV. You can open your Bibles, your Bible apps, and join me there, or you can read up on the screens. Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down from their thrones the rulers, but has lifted up the humble he has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty he has helped his servant israel remembering to be merciful to abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors you see the hope that mary is rejoicing about that she's she's erupting about is a hope that's based completely in what God is doing, what God has done. Remember, if you remember back to the first week, if you weren't here, you can go back and you can listen to it. But in the first week, we talked about how Israel had been in, essentially been in exile for hundreds of years. And all while they've been in exile, there has been a promise coming to them over and over. God is going to restore. He is going to make things good. He's going to bring about good things. And, and, and so they have these promises running all while they're living in the experience of not having God's actual, his, his presence within the temple and, and everything else in their midst. Okay? And so they're, they're getting to a place where they're saying, how, how long? How much longer do we have to wait? And Mary is rejoicing because this is all coming to an end. It's like that line in in, in the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. All the hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight. In this one moment, the hopes, the fears, the good stuff, the bad stuff, everything in between, it all comes rushing together in this one moment, this one point, and Mary is rejoicing about this. We see in her song the God who goes to battle on behalf of disenfranchised people. People who are in slavery. People who have been left out in the cold. People who have been kicked. And he bears his arm for them the way he did for Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. That's the imagery here. That's what, that's what, what Mary has in mind. It's the exodus. God is rescuing his people. He's being faithful. He's remembering his promises and his covenant. His justice and his mercy are running together side by side, hand in hand. And it is good, good news. It's good news. This is what Christmas is all about. This is is what Christmas is all about. The world's vision of Christmas is more along the lines of what my, my, my son did last night, right? I am. I, I want the presents, right? You can give them to me. If you don't want them, give them to me. The world's ver- version of Christmas is, is, is based on an emptiness in, in self-gratification. What's held out to us in the birth of Jesus is something far more satisfying because it's a living hope. Not something that is based on a maybe or it would be really great if it would happen, but it's based on what has happened. What God is doing. So how do we live in this hope? How do we live in it? In the first week, we started to answer the question and we said that to live... In the hope that we have because of Christmas means that we celebrate God. We celebrate God. We we remember who we were and what God has done for us. And then from there, we look forward to what God is going to do and who we are becoming. And we celebrate those things. We celebrate that. So we're, we're celebrating God. Last week, we talked about how to live in this hope that... We need to expect God. We need to live in a confident expectation of God by embracing our circumstances and our weaknesses and then trusting through prayer and, and pursuit of Jesus. We, we put our expectation in the living God as opposed to our ideas of what may or may not happen, what we would prefer to have happen. This week, we're going to talk about worship. As a matter of fact, that's our main thing this morning. To live in hope is to worship God. If you are taking notes, you can write that down on your outline. To live in hope is to worship God. What do I mean by worship? Is worship what we do when we're getting ready for work in the mornings? I don't know about you, but I'll sing songs. I enjoy doing that. I like it. And I'm genuinely worshiping when I do. Is, 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 is that all worship is? No, I don't think so. Is worship what we only what we do on Sunday morning when we're singing songs? Nope. I, it's a very important part of worship, but that's not all of it. If I were to show you my bank statement and you saw what I spent my money on, how often I spent my money on it, you would know exactly what I value, wouldn't you? What I am investing in becomes a tell for what I value, for what I am investing into, for what I am worshiping. The worship we're talking about this morning is like that. It's when we worship, we spend our resources, our, our time, our treasure, and our talents on what we value, what it is that we love and we desire. And Living in the hope we have in Jesus, or in, because of Christmas, because of God's fulfilled promise of, of justice, of rescue, and, and of mercy all through Jesus, it means that we live worshiping God. We live investing all of our resources, every part of us, into God. Paul, one of the earliest Christian missionaries and leaders, wrote this. This is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul says, because of and in response to God's mercy, live this way. When he says to worship, he's saying, live a life this way. Because of God's action on our behalf, when we could do nothing for ourselves because of his great generosity, because of his great love, we are called to worship by investing ourselves in service to God in all things and in all ways. In Mary's song, we see a celebration and expectation of God. There's no doubt about it, we do. But the whole thing is wrapped up in this cloak of worship. Everything that God was finally bringing about needed a player. And God picked Mary and Mary became available. In Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38, an angel, Gabriel, shows up to Mary. Says, hey Mary, guess what? What? Guess what? Time's up. Wait is over. God's showing up. He's doing exactly what he promised he would do. And he's going to do it through you. Oh, yeah, by the way, he's going to actually, he's going to do it through the son you're going to bear. And Mary asks a very valid question. What? How can this be? Mary was unmarried. And so the angel answers in response, don't worry, just like God is taking care of everything else, he's going to take care of that too. That's going to be taken care of. That's going to be worked out. It's going to be a miracle. God is going to do what only God can do. Okay? And then Mary responds in a very interesting way. She responds in a way that I, I, if I'm being perfectly honest I think I might have a hard time responding this way. Her response is this in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, there are a couple of things in this one short verse that clue us into the worship Mary wrapped around her celebration and her expectation. First of all, she calls herself the Lord's servant. She calls herself the Lord's servant. Um, You ever look for help on something? Maybe you've been asked to help on something. I know I had a whole bunch of people come and help us when we were moving out of our um, storage unit and getting our stuff into our, where we're living right now. Um, fabulous. We had a whole bunch of people come and they came and they helped, but were they my servants in in the sense of I owned them? They belonged to me? No. <laughs> it's interesting. The word The word that Luke uses here for servant has nothing to do with somebody who voluntarily does something on their own initiative. Mary, when she calls herself the Lord's servant, she's calling herself a slave. She's saying, I have no rights to myself. I don't own me. In essence, she opens herself up to God and says, Whatever you want, I'm in. You see, in Mary's culture, there was a lot of competitive maneuvering for status and and positions. Does that sound familiar? we, We encounter that all the time, don't we? But instead of clinging to whatever status and position she possibly could have, instead she rejected all of it and said, I'm in with what you've got, whatever you've got, however you've got it. I'm your servant. Ironically, she becomes elevated because of that. Isn't it funny how God does things? Mary calls herself the Lord's servant. The second thing about this is that Mary submits herself fully to the purpose of God. May your word To me, be fulfilled. That's not just merely a polite thing to say. Mary is accepting God's purpose while at the same time rejecting all other purposes, all other ideas, all other formulations of what life should or shouldn't be, all of it. She's literally turned her back on all of that and said, What you've got is it. That's it. That's all there is. This was part of her worship. And as a matter of fact, this act put her in jeopardy with her soon-to-be husband. Because as a woman in that culture, she was supposed to be on board with her husband's purposes. But what does she say? God, whatever your purposes are, I'm on board. I'm on board. (laughs) Mary is sold out to God and his purposes. Anything that he wants, in any way that he wants it, she's sold out. This is the kind of worship we're called to engage in. If we are going to live out the hope we have because of Christmas, we need to engage in this kind of worship. Because it's not about us anyway, is it? It's about God. It's about what he is doing. It's about what he wants to do in us and through us and in the world around us. So what does it look like? How do we do that? How do we engage in that kind of worship? It sounds good, but how do we do it? Number one on your outline. To worship God, we must be available. We must be available. My wife and I recently, we were uh, having issues with the toilet in our house. And um, no, nothing gross. It was just, it kept leaking. You ever have, have a leaky toilet? Uh, and they, they fixed the, we, we called the maintenance guys in, and they, they fixed the, the wax ring inside there and, and all that, but it was still leaking. So I had to call them back, and, and they, they came back, and, and they did some plumber's tape thing someplace else, and, but then it was still leaking. I think this went on, I actually I think I kind of annoyed them. <laughs> Cuz I kept calling them. I was getting frustrated. This wasn't just getting fixed. They weren't available to me in the way that I wanted them to be to just fix the thing, right? And have it done. Finally they did. It got it got fixed, but have you ever experienced anything like that? where somebody or something wasn't available to you in the way that you wanted it or needed it to be. Maybe it was a doctor. You need to talk to a doctor and they're just too busy. They can't get back to you. Maybe it's your mechanic. They're really busy fixing everybody else's cars too. And you're not getting the answers that you want on what's wrong with yours. To worship God We must be available. We have to be available. And being available, by the way, doesn't mean that we are perfect or that we get everything right all the time. That's not availability. (coughs) Being available means that we love God with all we are and all we have. We love him with all of our time. We love him with all of our treasure. We love him with all of our talents. Everything about us is oriented and pointed at God and what he wants. We are available to him. My, uh, my son Caleb loves to draw and for a long time, I mean, he's getting better at it, and he's got some really good imagination stuff going on, and he's, he's, it's, it's really fun to watch. But for a long time, whenever he would sit down to draw, I would hear him getting frustrated. Oh, I don't like this, and then I hear paper crumpling and you know it getting tossed on the floor. He's getting mad at himself because things weren't working out the way he thought they should. And so I've had to give him a lot of encouragement and say, buddy, you're doing great. You're learning. I love this. This is amazing. You're, you're growing and you're getting better. It's okay if it's not perfect. You're learning. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you've been in a place where you've thought you've had to get it just right all of the time in order to be approved by God. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Okay, You do not have to have it right all of the time. Your worship isn't judged by how good your life looks. It's judged by your availability. Are you available? Are you simply there to be able to give to God what he asks for when he asks for it? I heard this once, and and I I like it. I love it, actually. God doesn't call the qualified. You and I, we'll we'll vet uh, maybe a a plumber, a mechanic. We want to see some... Examples of their work, right? We want to know that they're, we want to hear from other people that these people are reliable, that they're going to do good work, all of that kind of a thing, and that they're, they're really competent at what they do, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but that's what I do. I, 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 want, I want that information before I pay somebody my money, right? You see, we call the qualified. God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. Okay? There is all kinds of areas in my life where I don't measure up. And that's where God's grace comes in. That's where His mercy for me comes in. He is in the process of qualifying me, He's qualifying you. If what God has called you to do, you don't know how to do perfectly, it's okay. Just be available just be available one of my favorite stories in the whole bible is it's in exodus when moses goes to the the bush the burning bush and and god says i'm going to use you moses and i'm going to i'm going to bring use you to bring my people out and moses is freaking out he's had all kinds of questions about it and and basically his question is how how on earth are you going to be able to do this and and God's question to Moses is, What is in your hand? Now, did God ask that because he was he didn't know what was in Moses' hand? Or he was distracted? No, he knew exactly what was in Moses' hand. He was drawing Moses' attention to what was in Moses' hand, right? And Moses had his staff. God said, Okay, I'm gonna use that. Read the story, it's amazing. I'm going to use that. When we come to God, when we are available to God, as he is qualifying us, what he does in our questions, and he's, he's okay with our questions, but what he does is he says, what's in your pockets? What do you have in your pockets? I'll use that. Why? Because it brings glory to Him anyway. It's all about Him anyway. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about all of us together even. It's about Him. And He uses whatever we have when and as we are available to Him. Pressure's off, guys. Pressure's off. Mary demonstrated this when she called herself the Lord's slave. When we worship, everything about us is directed toward God and His purpose. Are you available? Can you choose simply to be available? Because that's what it means to worship. Number two on your outline. We need to be available, but to worship, we must also stay the course. To worship, we must stay the course. Um, not far from where I grew up, there was a house. Well, the beginnings of a house being built. Nice piece of property on, on a creek. Um, beautiful. It was looking like it was going to be really pretty, and the house itself was looking like it was going to shape up to be fairly large, a nice house. (laughs) That house got started before my family ever moved into that area. For years and years afterwards, it remained unfinished. And I don't know all of the backstory behind the whys and all of that, but for me, it kind of became a little bit of a cautionary tale. What is the point of starting something that you don't finish, that you don't bring through to completion? And I, I had that, I've had that thought every time I've driven by that place. Maybe you've seen things in your life too like that, where, where you've thought that, man, that, that's just sat unfinished for so, so long. You guys, to worship God, we must stay the course. We need to remain submitted to the purpose of God above all else, just like Mary was. And we do that by believing and acting, two sides of the same coin, believing and acting. Believing in the New Testament is not merely affirming a set of doctrinal statements or things to believe about God. I mean, it's important to believe the, the right things. We're told to guard our doctrine, to, you know, to to know good, right things, all of that. I'm not discounting any of that. But, it's, but believing far is far more detailed than just that. You see, it's about organizing our lives around what God says. It's about leaving no room for any other options. I once was doing some premarital counseling with a couple. They were all excited. I was excited for them. And uh, we got to talking about money. And I I was talking about the importance of, of them as the two becoming one, bringing their finances together as one. And she looked at me like I had a third eye. The, the, the gal did. And she, I just talked to a financial advisor, and they said that it would be very unwise to do that, that it would be far better to keep things separate in case you fill in the blank. When we choose to believe Jesus and what he has to say, we are binding ourselves to him in a way that says we have no other options. This is it. As a matter of fact, in John chapter one, we're told that as you know, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and for anyone who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God the believe there that John is talking about is this very kind of thing we're hitching our wagons <laughs> to him to what he says to the way he tells us to live and and there's no other options there's there's no plan B there's nothing else we stay the course by believing We have to choose this, but we also have to act. My kids often will come to me after I've already given them an an instruction. I'm sure nobody else ever has experienced this. We will have had an entire conversation about what we're going to do and why we're going to do it, and then my kids will come to me and ask for something else. Or they'll ask for the thing that I said, no, we can't do that right now because of this in hopes that daddy's going to change his mind. And and my response to them is what did daddy say? What was the very last thing that I told you about this? I, we've we've talked about it. What did I tell you? You guys, when we stay the course by acting, we're choosing to continue to act on the last thing God said. And we don't often like that because usually acting on, continuing to act on the last thing God said means, lots of times it means that we continue in some maybe some uncomfortable situations or circumstances. It's not the quick, easy way out of those things. But when we stay the course, when we act, we are committed to the last thing God said. In Luke chapter 2, Verses thirty-four through thirty-five. While Mary and Joseph are presenting Jesus at the temple, they're following the law and and what what uh, the law of Moses said for them to do with their firstborn. A man by the name of Simeon comes up, and he's rejoicing because he sees, he understands. Hey, this is this is Israel's king. This is good stuff is about to happen here. And he blesses the family. And. But then it quickly turns at the end. He looks at Mary and he says, and a sword is going to pierce your soul as well. She is going to feel anguish. About 33 years later, Jesus would be crucified and for three days, confusion and despair would reign. Eventually, though, even that was changed. That was turned around. You guys, being obedient to God doesn't mean that we like everything we encounter. It doesn't mean that we're happy about everything we encounter. It doesn't mean that life is going to be comfortable and easy. That idea is an invention of the world meant to distract us from following Jesus. Being obedient means that we remain submitted. It's it's living the way Mary did. Not understanding everything but having to work through things. It's being like Jesus in the garden as he's getting ready to be crucified. If at all possible let this cup pass by. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. It's It's staying the course. It's remaining true to the very last thing that God has said in hope, in hope that he is going to make everything right. Not because maybe he will, but because we know who he is. There will be swords that pierce even our own hearts. I have experienced those. You have experienced those. The question is, will we stay the course or will we leave the house unfinished? Are we going to do the last thing God called us to do? Will we sell out for God's purpose and leave the outcome to him? will we be his servant will we worship I want to have the band come on up we're going to we're going to sing one last song together you guys to live in the hope of christmas is to live a life of unbridled worship it doesn't mean you have to sing well it doesn't mean that you have to carry a tune in a bucket Okay? It means that you're available. It means that you are staying the course. It means that you, everything that you have, everything about you, is given over to God to use however He wants, in whatever way He wants, and allowing Him to bring the conclusion. being confident in and committed to the God who has already acted on our behalf while we were powerless. In view of God's mercy, I urge you. It's like the song, The Little Drummer Boy. I know people have a love-hate relationship with that song. Some people love it, some people hate it. I happen to be in the love category. But there's a line in there about him not having anything to bring so he he asks if he can just play his drum. What do you have in your pockets? What's in your pocket? What can you give to God that he will use? Let that be your worship and as you do live in the hope that we have because of Christmas. What might life look like? What might our community, what might our church look like if we lived this way? We're going to sing this song How Great the Father's Love. We sang it earlier, we're going to sing it one more time. Let's let this anchor us in this hope we have. And then I'll come back, and I'm gonna wrap it up. Why don't you all stand with us? Father, thank you. Thank you that you have acted for us. And that the reality of all of that is is that we, it doesn't require anything of us in terms of making ourselves good enough, but only to receive it from you. So God, I pray this season that we would receive from you the life, the joy, the peace, the hope we have. God, let worship be a hallmark in us of being available to you giving you everything in our pockets, whatever it is. How, maybe we even think it's silly, but you can use it. God, let everyone here know just how deeply loved they are by you and how much you want to join with them in life. Maybe you're here and you haven't begun your life as a Christ follower, but you like this idea, this having life that doesn't require you to earn it, but is given to you. I'm going to say a prayer and just make it your own. Jesus, I want what you've got. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my treasure, my talents, everything about me, I give it all to you. I choose you. I believe you. Make me yours. Lord, for anyone who made that prayer theirs, give them your spirit right now, I pray. Your presence, your empowerment, your joy, your peace. And may this Christmas season be unlike any other that they have experienced as they begin now to live out the hope that is in you. God, help us. I know we've got lots of preparations that we still need to make for our family Christmas stuff, for the stuff that's happening here at Celebration Center. But God, I pray that you would be blessed in all of it, that you would be worshiped in all of it, that all of it would be about and for you. Have your way in us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.